Fervent Church. We're glad you're joining us online. And I just have a couple of quick announcements. Really cool. It looks like we're going to be back in the school on June 7th. Uh, they're going to allow us to come back in there and we'll be holding services. But more exciting, uh, the middle of July, we will be in our new building. And so we're going to be gathering some people together in order to begin to train in different areas so that we can welcome all the newcomers that we're expecting on August 2nd at the grand opening of the new building. So be in prayer for that. Pretty excited about that. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 8 as we continue through the book of Mark. Jesus is on his way to the cross and he's gaining momentum, but he's also gaining opposition. Uh, the religious leaders are beginning to confront him on a continual basis. And in, this, in Mark chapter 8, we come to another feeding. Uh, it's the feeding of the 4,000 men. So probably close to 10,000, maybe even 12,000 people that Jesus is about to feed. And the interesting thing about this story is, is he's still in Decapolis. He's still in a Gentile area. So the first feeding was for the lost sheep of Israel. And he's still going to the house of Israel, but if, if you notice the last couple of uh, uh, paragraphs in chapter 7, uh, he's been going to the Gentiles. And he's been doing cool things with the Gentiles. And, and you can see that happening, uh, this movement headed uh, toward the Gentiles. And I'm a Gentile, so that's a good thing, right? Um, you know, you see the woman at the well, the, the man possessed with legion, the Syrophoenician woman's daughter, the deaf man that we're going to see, uh, uh, that we saw a few weeks ago, and then the centurion, and now the feeding of the 4,000 in this mixed region. So I'm going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 8. Read with me. It says, In those days there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. And he called the disciples and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they already stayed with me three days and they have nothing to eat. So picture this. He's, the crowd's been there for three days. They have nothing to eat. The first time Jesus dealt with the crowd, the 5,000, he saw them and he was moved with compassion because they were like, a, like sheep without a shepherd. But this time he sees them and he's focused more on their physical needs. And the cool thing about Jesus is the first time it was the spiritual needs, and now the second time he cares for the physical needs. And Jesus cares for both our physical needs and our spiritual needs. And he goes on to say, If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way. And some of them have come, come a long distance. His disciples answered him. Notice they don't get it. They're still clueless. Where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? How many loaves do you have? You can almost hear Jesus. How many loaves do you have? Come on, guys. Really? Are you really not getting this? How many loaves do you have? He asked them. Seven. And they said he commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. They also had a few small uh, fish. And after he had blessed them, again, he prayed twice here, interestingly enough. He said, he said these, uh, these were to be served as well. And they ate and they were satisfied. So everybody, again, was satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 were there. He dismissed them and he immediately got into the boat 
with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha, which is probably Magdala, where Mary Magdalene was from. And so, um, so here we have this whole uh, story here of uh, Jesus being concerned, um, not just for the spiritual needs of people, but the actual physical needs. And so I've called this message today, I call it Three Blind Mice. And we're going to look at three different groups of people. We're going to look at the Pharisees, who are never going to see. We're going to look at the disciples, who are slow to hear and slow to see. And then Jesus illustrating it by taking a deaf man and uh, opening it up uh, so that he can, um, excuse me, a blind man, so uh, and letting him see uh, uh, the world around him. So um, let's look again at verse 14 of chapter 8, and we'll, we'll go back and look at 11 through 13. So disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. Then he gave them strict orders, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they were discussing among themselves that they had not, they did not have enough bread. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you comprehend and understand? Do you, ha do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes to see and do not see? Do you have ears to hear and not hear? Notice nine questions. Jesus is asking them back to back nine questions here. And do you not remember when I broke the, the loaves of the, for the 5,000, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? 12, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full did you collect? Seven. And, they, and he said to them, don't you understand yet? Wow. Let's pray together. I, I need to pray. This is, this is mind boggling because I don't want anybody that's watching this morning to not get it, to not hear, to not see, to not open up their hearts. I don't want anybody to have a hardened heart this morning. So I'm going to pray real quick. Lord, thank you for your word. And I pray that everyone that's watching right now, that you would open up the eyes of their understanding, that they wouldn't be slow to hear. They wouldn't have hard hearts. They would have eyes to see and ears to hear what you are speaking to them right now through your word. We invite you in and we ask that your Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts this morning and speak to us. And so we lift up this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I mean, this is mind-boggling. Nine questions he asked them. These disciples are so, so dull of hearing, slow of hearing, whatever you want to call it, right? But, you know, just like me, I can be slow of hearing, dull of hearing, and I have to hear it over and over again. I mean, I hear it one time or I go through something one time and I don't get it. I go two times and then three times and then four times. And all of a sudden, the fifth time, either I see it in the word or something happens in my life and I'm like, Oh, I get what you're trying to teach me here, Lord. I understand what you're doing here. I mean, it's crazy, right? That's kind of how we are, right? Oh, now I get it, Lord. Now I understand. But sometimes we have to be broken or beat down or, or read a certain text over and over and over again. I've heard people say before, yeah, I read the Bible, but God's just repeating himself. Why? 
because we're slow of learning. We're slow of hearing. We're knuckleheads. We need to hear it over and over and over and over again until we get it. And I just say, Lord, thank you for being so patient with me. And he's patient with you too as well. But here, the disciples, they didn't get it, but the Pharisees didn't get it. And the difference between the disciples and the Pharisees is, is one day the disciples will get it and they'll turn the world upside down. Yet the Pharisees will never get it. And it will cost them everything. They will harden their hearts all the way to hell. Now, in the correlating passage in Matthew chapter 16, okay, Jesus is blown away. He's amazed at their unbelief. Let me read. It says in Matthew uh, 16, verse 8, it says, Aware of this, Jesus said, You of little, aware that they were talking among themselves, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves that you do not have bread? They just didn't get it. They didn't understand that he was the bread from heaven, that, that, that he was the bread of life, the true manna that came down from heaven. Now, I want to unpack something for you for just a second here. Now, back in uh, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus, he begins to leave the area and everybody is looking for them. Nobody understood the feeding of the 5,000. They tried to make him king. They said, look at what he did. Let's make him king right now. They wanted a material king. They didn't want a spiritual king. They didn't want a, a, a king of a supernatural kingdom where they had to deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow him. They wanted a material king. Yet in John 6, one of the most amazing chunks of scripture in all the Bible, Jesus unpacks it. Okay. He says, you know, you guys are looking for me. Here's what he says. He says, Jesus answered and he said, truly, I tell you. You are looking for me, not because you saw the sign, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. So they, 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 not because they saw the sign, but because they ate and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes. For the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his approval on him. Now, the Old Testament uh, the, the people were wandering in the wilderness. They were complaining like Moses were so hungry and they were wandering in the wilderness and they were complaining and God sent manna from heaven and God sent manna from heaven to feed them. Now, Jesus is going to correlate himself. This is a picture of him and he's going to show them and got to remember what I'm reading right now is right after the feeding of the 5,000. He's the true bread from heaven. He goes on to say, what can we do to perform the works of God? They asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. And then they asked him, what sign then are you going to do that we may see and believe you? This is mind boggling. Jesus had just split the bread and fed 15,000 people and they're still asking for a sign. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. you got to remember, the disciples are standing right there, 
and they're hearing it. And in this miracle that we see today, they're not hearing it. And so Jesus is unpacking it for them, yet they don't get it. And then he goes on to say, this, then he said, then they said, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said this, he says, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Truly I say to you, anyone who believes has eternal life. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. To tell the Pharisees, this is what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, that he's the true bread from heaven, he's the manna from heaven, he's the Lord of heaven, and yet they don't get it. Even after miracle after miracle up to this point. And then he goes on to say, he says, Truly I, uh, uh, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. That bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so Jesus is fulfilling this right here, right now. He's going to have this conversation with them and he's taking them on a journey and he's going to tell them again and again and again. And he uses nine questions to say, you knuckleheads. I mean, that's a, let's just sum it up. You knuckleheads, why aren't you hearing? Why aren't you believing? Why aren't you seeing what I am saying to you? And I love it when he says that to me. Garrett, you knucklehead, aren't you getting this, right? You need to get this. Aren't we just like this, even during the second time? Now, what, is he, what else is he trying to get them to see? He's trying to get them to recognize his identity, that he is the Messiah, that he's God the Son and the Son of God, that he's Jesus the Christ, that he's God incarnate, that he's fully God, that he's fully man, that he's the great I am, that he's the all-sufficient one. He wants them to know that he, that he wants them to know that his identity, that he's the pre-existent one, and so that they can trust him in every circumstance, in every situation. He also wants them to know, another thing they're missing is, that his sufficiency and his ability and his willingness to deal with every problem, every circumstance, everything that might come up past, present, and future in their lives, because they're going to be sent out. They're going to be Jesus with skin. They're going to be the ones that are going to be telling everybody that Jesus is the bread from heaven, that he is the bread of life, and that they can have salvation from them. So he's trying to get them to understand his identity, his sufficiency, his ability, and his willingness that he is the provider of life, both abundant and eternal life. And, and, and they're not getting it. And um, he also is the one without leaven, of course, as well. 
that he will be there in the storms, that he's able to perform a miracle in their lives, that he always will come through no matter what. He will be there. He'll never leave them or forsake them. And this is what he is trying to establish in their lives because he knows what they're going to go through as they follow him, as they live sin as they begin to share the gospel and they begin to be witnesses of him in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth. And they, as they go out and they, and they begin to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and, and, and teaching them to obey all the things that Jesus commanded them. But Jesus promises, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And so He's trying to develop these, these, these men so that they would understand that God is with them. Now, I want to back up again to, like I said, in verses, uh, I'm going to go to verse 11 um, real quick. He said, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. And then here Jesus sighs again, but it's a different kind of sigh this time. This time it's almost like, oh my goodness, what is wrong with you people, Right. He's like, oh, sighing deeply in his spirit. He said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and went to the other side. Crazy. So here, this is a warning, guys. This is a warning to them, but it's also a warning to us because the Pharisees didn't comprehend and they didn't understand and they'd hardened their hearts and, and, and they'd seen miracle after miracle after miracle. Jesus had done miracles. They'd heard his preaching, preaching with authority. They saw, they saw the lepers cleansed and guys, a leper had never, a Jewish man had never been cleared, cleansed of leprosy. There was only one cleansing of leprosy in the whole Bible and that was Naaman. And, and, and this should have blown their mind. They should have said, wow. I mean, Isaiah prophesied about this, that the blind would see and the deaf would hear and, and all these things. He, he continued to prophesy. I mean, the whole Bible was prophesying of the coming of the Messiah and they missed it. And that's why Jesus sighs here and he goes, look, I'm not going to give you guys a sign. Now, sometimes this is us, right? Maybe you're that person that you've, um, you've heard your grandma preach to you, your neighbor preach to you. You've seen sign after sign, testimony after testimony, miracle after miracle, changed life after changed life, yet you still do not believe. And you can have historical evidence and archaeological evidence and prophetical evidence and you still won't believe. And you still harden your heart. Are you still are just like these Pharisees? Oh yeah, we've seen the dead raised. We've seen the blind see, the deaf hear, the lepers cleansed. We've heard you preach, but give us a sign. Give us a sign. Oh yeah, we were there at the feeding of the 5,000, but that's not enough. That's not enough, Lord. We want to see more of a sign. And man, Jesus gets frustrated in Matthew chapter uh, 16, verse 1. He says this. This is the correlating passage. He says, the Pharisees and Sadducees approached and tested him, asking them, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. <laughs> he replied, when evening comes, you say it'll be good weather because of the red sky. The sky is red. And in the morning today will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to read the appearances of the sky, but you can't read the signs of the times. 
An evil and adulterous generation demand a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and went away. The sign of Jonah. Three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. He says that in Matthew 11. I'll give you a sign. I'll be three days and three, three nights in, in the belly of a whale. He gives them another sign. He tells them, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And he's not talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He's talking about his own body. So what he's saying there is, I'll give you a sign. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And even when they experience that, they lie and they cover it up and they never, ever believe all the way to hell. And I pray this morning that if you're watching, that you're watching right now, that you wouldn't say, just give me another sign. Give me another sign. Give me another sign. Because God has given you everything, everything he possibly could have given, given us. So now, why would you possibly want another sign? I mean, you can look at my life, my changed life and my testimony of my life. That uh, should be um, good enough. So what happens? Jesus sighs, turns his back on them, walks away, gets in the boat, and sails away. Heartbreaking. So heartbreaking. Now, he got to the point where he just saw the futility of their minds, that no matter what he said, no matter what he did, no matter what miracle he did, they would never repent they would never repent. Romans talks about this. Romans chapter 1 verse 28 says, And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. In the Old Testament, the man Pharaoh, Pharaoh hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart. Finally, God said, finally the Bible switches gears and it said, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I mean, this is, this is insane. I think Hebrews talks about this too. It says, therefore, Hebrews 3 verse 7 says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, today, if you're hearing his voice, if you're hearing the word of God and the Holy Spirit is pricking your soul, do not reject him. Do not harden your heart. Do not plug your ears. Do not seek for another sign. Ask and repent. Ask Jesus into your heart and repent of your sins. And he goes on to say, Do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Speaking of the children in the wilderness. Where your ancestor tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Miracle after miracle. Plague after plague. Uh, save, saving after saving. Uh, and they still reject him. For 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Now they're talking about the rest of the promised land here, but we won't enter his rest if we reject Jesus Christ and we reject the salvation of our souls provided to us by Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus was buried, died, buried, and rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life. Remember what Jesus said in John 6. He says, I am the bread of life. If you believe in me, you will not die. You will live forever. Now, look with me real quick in verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to take bread. 
and had only one loaf with them in the boat. And then they, they get, uh, then he, Jesus gave them strict orders, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Now, Leaven is a picture of sin in, in, in the scriptures. It, it, it's a picture of influence. And uh, if you take a, just a little tiny pinch of leaven and put it in a, in, a, in a lump of dough, what will happen? It permeates the whole thing. It consumes the whole thing. It infects the whole thing. It, it grows and it takes over in this lump. Okay? It totally consumes and takes over just a little bit in a good-sized chunk of dough. And so what's Jesus saying here? What is the leaven of the Pharisees? Well, first of all, it's their teaching, okay? He's talking about their teaching, but it's a legalistic mindset. It's adding to the simplicity found in Jesus Christ and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It's Jesus and, right? It's boasting and religiosity. It's self-righteousness and judgmentalness and criticalness. Uh, this is the leaven of the Pharisees. Looking down on other people, thinking you have it right. It's boasting in your religiosity and your own self-righteousness that no one can possibly measure up to. It's sin. It's taking the word of God and twisting it and making up your own rules and regulations. That is the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, what's the leaven of Herod? That's, it's worldliness, it's self-indulgence, it's pride, it's fame, it's position, it's sexual immorality and adultery, it's money and it's greed and it's sin. And, and it's grabbing on to the world. And so there's two things that Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, you can feed off the bread of life, me. You can eat from me. You can feed from me. And out of you will spring, spring uh, uh, wells of living water. And out of you, you'll never be hungry. You'll always be satisfied because when you come to me, I will give you joy and peace and contentment. And I will pour my love into your life. And, and you will experience the abundant life. Ladies and gentlemen, if, it, if you're not experiencing the abundant life this morning, chances are you are not feeding. You are not feeding from the bread from heaven, the bread of life. You're feeding on the religion uh, uh, of the Pharisees or you're feeding off the world, but you're not feeding off and abiding in the bread from heaven. And I love it. And Jesus is saying, guys, forget about the way of the Pharisees and their fake religiosity and legalism. Forget about the way of Herod and grabbing onto everything the world has to offer and build my kingdom. Be my people. Don't worry about the religious folk. Don't worry about what people are doing in the world. You follow me, and I'll bless you, and you'll experience abundance like you never have. I love that. Now, again, Jesus hits him with these nine questions. It's almost like he has this holy frustration going on. I mean, just, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Jesus seems pretty human to me. I mean, maybe a couple of eye rolls or just like a, you know, that little emoji, you know, the, the, the hand in the palm of the head kind of thing. Just like, oh, my goodness, why are you guys so dull? Wake up. What is wrong with you guys? I just fed 5,000 and now I feed 4,000. You guys are worried about bread? I mean, guys, I, I am 
the bread from heaven, for goodness sakes. How, how is it that you do not understand? I mean, I love this. How come you don't get my identity? How come you don't understand my sufficiency? How come you're not getting my ability? And, and, and guys, or my willingness. I mean, I walked on water. I calmed the storm. And you guys just aren't getting it. Now, the cool thing is, how does, what does Jesus do now? Jesus now is going to illustrate it. If you look at me in verse 22, he's going to illustrate uh, by opening the eyes of a blind man. Now, let's look at this together. It says there in verse 22, he says, Then, uh, oh, they, okay, so he leaves there. They, they came to Bethsaida. Okay, now let me, let me talk about Bethsaida just for a second because this is extremely important. Okay, Bethsaida, remember in, in, in I think it was, I think it might have been Matthew 11 or Matthew 8, somewhere. Anyways, Jesus threw out some curses and one of the curses were, woe to you, Bethsaida. Okay, uh, he cursed them and said, you know, there's no way there's going to be miracles going to be here. And if the miracles that were done in you were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented already. But Bethsaida isn't repenting. They're hardening their, their hearts. And so Jesus, interestingly enough, watch what he does here. This is very interesting. Okay. So, and, and by the way, if you go to Bethsaida now, it's just ruins. Uh, within a few short years, the whole place would be destroyed by the Romans. Okay. So remember that. It, Jesus cursed it and it got destroyed. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He looked the blind man, he took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. He wasn't going to do the miracle in the village, okay? Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? What was Jesus asking? Do you see anything? Well, in Matthew 11, like I said, he cursed Bethsaida because of their hardness of heart and their unbelief. And in verse 26, let me, well, let me just keep reading here. He looked up and he said, I see people, they look like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes and the man looked intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into that village. I just cur I cursed that village, right? I cursed that village. Don't go in there. So he takes them. So remember, woe to you, Bethsaida. If the works have been done in you that were that in Tyre and Sidon, um, uh, they would have repented by now. And he takes them out of the village to heal him. Remember, the disciples are following, okay? And then he says, after he heals them, don't go into the village, okay? Now, Look at verse 25 there, the, the second part of it says, The man looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. You know, this is the only miracle that Jesus doesn't heal right away. It's, it's a process. The guy's blind, and then the guy's kind of blind, and then the guy's not so blind, and then all of a sudden the guy sees, right? I mean, pretty amazing. Right? He's pretty amazing. Why does Jesus do that? He's taking him on a progression to show his disciples. And that's why he says, the man looked intently and his sight was restored. Jesus is basically saying, look, guys, you don't get it. 
the one that was born in Bethlehem. By the way, Bethlehem means house of bread. To the one in the upper room that breaks the bread and says, this is my body broken for, for you. And everywhere in between in the New Testament, Jesus is unpacking the fact that he is the bread of life and that nobody gets to the Father but by him. From being born in the house of bread, Bethlehem, all the way to the upper room where he breaks the, the bread. I mean, that is insane and, and and wanting these guys to get what is going on here i am the bread of life and i am everything you will ever need and so he takes these guys on this journey with him and he illustrates it with the blind man guys you need to see you guys need to look intently at me now here's a cool thing little side note right um the guy immediately gets 2020 vision what's the first thing this man sees jesus i mean being blind all those years and the first thing that you see is jesus do you think that's cool or what i, I would i mean i would be so blessed and can you imagine this guy he's he's walking with his wife and he's he's walking by the uh, the, the jordan river and oh she says isn't that just a gorgeous river and he's like yeah it's all right and then, wow, look at the, look at the Mount, Mount Hermon. Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah, it's pretty, but I saw the face of Jesus. They take him to the temple, and he sees this temple, and it, all its glory with the gold and the, the pomegranate, all the brass and the pillars and everything. And he, his wife's like, wow, look at this temple. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, it's all right. It doesn't compare to what I saw when the man who opened the eyes of the blind, and I was face to face with Jesus. And I will never forget how glorious and how wonderful that I locked eyes with the man of compassion and there was a twinkle in his eye and there was something different about this Jesus. And I hope you're not hardening your heart this morning. I hope you're not uh, I hope you don't end up like Bethsaida, just a heap of ruins. I hope you're as excited as he was to see the face of Jesus. And it might take a few times, but guys, stop asking for a sign. Stop asking. You know, you, you, you have everything you need. Take a look around you. Look at creation. Look at the, the, the magnificence of an eyeball, you know. Uh, or an ear. That stuff just doesn't happen by chance. That has to come from a creator God. So take a look around. Uh, look at the historical evidence and the archaeological evidence and the prophetic evidence. I shared this the other Sunday morning. There's a, there's a, there's a man that wrote this book. I can't remember the book, but he said this. He said, there are over 250 prophecies in the scriptures that point to the coming of of the Messiah. He said, if you took only eight of those, only eight, it would be the same chance of, of Jesus fulfilling only eight of them. It would be the same chance that if you took and you filled the whole state of Texas up with silver dollars up to your knee, and then you flew over and you randomly threw one out that was painted red, and then you flew over in another airplane and you said, okay, I'm going to jump now. And you parachuted down into the, into the pile of the silver dollars and you reach down and you pick up the one that's red. 
That is the chance, the same chance as Jesus fulfilling only eight of the prophecies. Guys, he's worthy. He's calling you. Don't harden your heart as they did in the day of the rebellion. Don't harden your heart like the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees did. Open your heart to Jesus. And if you're a believer this morning, this is going to be my prayer for you. I'm going to pray that God would open up the eyes of your understanding, that you would believe in a deeper way, that your faith would grow. And if you don't know Jesus, uh, my prayer is going to be, God, would you show them that you are the bread of life? Would you open up their eyes? Would you soften their hearts? Would you give them ears to hear and eyes to see how great and wonderful you are, that you are the all-sufficient one, and that they would know your, that they would know, God, your true identity. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Your word is truth. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't feed off the world or we wouldn't feed off religion, Lord, but we would feed off you. That we would feed off the, the bread of life, the bread from heaven. Not only just for eternal life, Lord, but for abundant life. God, you are the provider of life. And you sent the provider of life in your son, Jesus Christ. May we believe and grow deeper with you today. In Jesus' name, amen.